My favorite thing to do when I'm commuting or waiting on a long line is hop onto June's journey and escape into a game filled with compelling stories, strong female characters, and a true crime mystery I want to help solve. The game lets you step into the role of June Parker as she tries to figure out who killed her sister. By playing the Hidden Object Mystery mobile game, you put your detective skills to the test. You find clues, play mind-teasing puzzles, and dive into the roaring 1920s. I'm on chapter four and still trying to figure out how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why, but I can't do it alone. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Wedded bliss turns into a dark mystery in Lucy Foley's The Guest List. The thrilling mystery is set on the coast of Ireland and it's my latest pick to listen to on Audible. The twists and turns do not disappoint. Listening to it felt addicting because I needed to know what happened next. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking audio titles, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers that are guaranteed to keep you on the edge of your seat. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Growing up in a remote Alaskan village, the love stories start young. She was crazy about him. And I could remember her being a little girl wanting to move in with us. For her, they were going to be married and live happily ever after. But early one spring morning, dreams of wedding bells and white dresses are stained red. There was blood all over the floor, blood all over the couch. The crime scene was horrendous. Details of a violent night quickly reveal a killer's wrath. She heard fighting. She saw a hooded figure leave the house. He stabbed somebody in the chest five times. That's personal. When a fantasy is dismantled, a deadly sin can't be contained. It was just such a rage killing that it was fueled by jealousy and anger. Nobody really knew the monster that was underneath. It was a weird, eerie feeling that I've never experienced in all my life. Love fueled hate and anger ended in a tragedy. Athabascan village of Mento, Alaska, things are usually quiet. Well, Mento is located 130 miles northwest of Fairbanks. It's on a hill looking over the Tolvanna River. You're talking generations of Alaska natives that just grow up there and build their families. A lot of them live off the grid. So you've got sometimes no internet, no running water. So it's very different. On the morning of May 2nd, 2013, lifelong Mento resident Lori Baker receives an unexpected phone call from 24-year-old Carlene Charlie, a friend of her son Jordan. The phone rang. I said, hello. She said, Lori, Jordan's been stabbed. And my immediate reaction is, where? 
Carlene has stated that Jordan was house-sitting for a cousin, and that's where she found him. There is no 911 service in Mento, so Lori and her boyfriend rushed to the home just down the street from her own. It took two to three minutes, and we were there. When we walked in, I seen my son laying on the couch in the living room. There was a big couch, and then blood all over the floor, blood all over the couch. It was a brutal, very bloody scene. You've got a man who was stabbed several times in cold blood. Lori sends her boyfriend to get help from Mento's Medical Emergency Services. Most of the rural communities are serviced by a health aid. This is not something where Fairbanks Memorial Hospital, 126 miles away, is going to be of any assistance. While she waits, Lori attempts to stop the bleeding. Her son's friend, Carlene, is distraught. I began to apply pressure on his chest, and I'm calling his name, calling his name. He was barely in the light. Carlene is behind me, just yelling at me to save him, to save him, to help him. And I turned around and I told her to shut up and sit down. Minutes later, Lori receives assistance. The help aides arrive and they start doing what they need to do. And I'm helping them and all I knew was he needed help and we were gonna try to save him. In 1987, Jordan Baker was raised in the native community of Mento, Alaska, as a member of the Athabascan tribe. We are one big family, bunch of individual families, but one big family. Whenever someone is in need, we look out for each other. We're a close community. Somebody gets a moose, somebody can't go out hunting themselves. We give them some of our meat. That's just how it's been. It's just part of our tradition. They have gatherings and the whole village comes. Everybody participates, everybody contributes. And a lot of this happens at Lori Baker's house. She's got one of the biggest houses there. Lori had a big brood to fill her large home. There was a total of eight of them. We took in nephews and nieces, but we had four children of our own. Jordan was the oldest. Even though Jordan came from a large family, all of the children in Mento felt like siblings. Jordan, he was always the one that would just come up with an idea, like playing kick the can out on the roads and hide and seek around like the whole village, just hanging out at each other's houses. So it'd be just a big group of us. As Jordan and his peers grew into teenagers, they found less innocent ways to entertain themselves. There's no such thing as Walmart. There's no such thing as the movies. There's no such thing as going to the club, you know? So that's where it becomes interesting because fun in a village setting can be kind of dangerous sometimes. Mento is what is called a local option community, meaning um, alcohol is prohibited, but, you know, it comes in. 
It's not your typical cocktail hour. It's heavy drinking until you might not remember the next day. Throughout the evolution from hide and seek to all night parties, there was one young woman who'd been a part of Jordan's life from the start, Carlene Charlie. These two grew up around each other. Carlene had felt a certain way for Jordan. We lived on the same street. She was crazy about him. And I could remember her being a little girl coming to visit and wanting to move in with us. So it started out at a very young age. Like Jordan, Carlene grew up steeped in the culture and traditions of the Athabascan tribe. She played music, she learned how to play the drums, so she played with the local bands here in the village. The Charlie family is wide-ranging and very well respected. But by the time she was a teenager, Carlene had turned her interest back to her childhood crush. It was literally like the world started and stopped with him. In her mind, that's her future husband. In spite of Carlene's crush, Jordan only wanted to be friends, with the occasional exception. There was a sexual relationship. Most of the time, it was alcohol-fueled. For him, it was just, we drink every now and then, we hook up, and I'll see you when I see you, so to speak. When Jordan was 23, his carefree party life was interrupted by a sobering blow. Jordan's father passed away November 2nd, 2010. And as any child that loses a parent, because I lost my father. So I knew exactly how my children felt. It had an impact on their lives. Jordan was mad. I remember that clearly as well. The day his father passed away, he was mad. In the wake of his father's death, Jordan threw himself into a variety of pursuits. Jordan was just unique in his own way. He got into gardening. He started trying different things, cooking and making dinners. And he also worked as a firefighter. And he worked in the community as well, doing different jobs. In 2013, 26-year-old Jordan announced to his family that he wanted to make a career out of one of his many interests. He was in the process of filling out paperwork to attend school. He wanted to pursue cooking. He was turning towards making it better for himself. But on May 2nd, 2013, Jordan's dream dwindles as he bleeds out from multiple stab wounds. Despite his grim condition, village health aides work to save Jordan's life. They're trying to find any signs of life. They cut his shirt away, see multiple stab wounds, determine after a few more minutes that he was deceased. I looked at one of our health aides. She shook her head, and I knew by then. We stopped, we got a sheet, I covered my son. I kissed him on the forehead. As Jordan's mother says goodbye to her son, 
the aide summons law enforcement from the nearest major city. In Fairbanks, investigators Henry Ching and Kirsten Hansen get the call. Investigator Hansen and I was approached by the Alaska Bureau of Investigation, told us, hey, we've got a homicide out in Minto. You guys need to suit up and head out. And so we grabbed our to-go bags. It has all our essentials to process crime scenes. And if you're going out to a far village, it could be, you know, a day's travel. So you got one shot to get it, and, and uh, that's all you got. Coming up, as investigators take in the crime scene, an unlikely witness emerges. I saw a little hole in the ground with a raven footprint, and there was some blood on it. And Mento fears the wrath of a killer amongst them. It wasn't a crime where someone just walked into town and did this. That may stab wounds. It's a crime of passion. Something triggered that. May 2nd, 2013, Alaska state troopers are on their way to the remote village of Mento to investigate the stabbing death of 26-year-old Jordan Baker. One of the challenges for investigating a crime scene out, out in one of the villages is logistics. We don't have a lot of backup. Troopers oftentimes are just traveling with one trooper. We travel down together, Investigator Hanson and myself. You've got just a terribly bloody scene in the middle of a village where it takes hours for the troopers to even arrive. In the first couple of hours, it's absolute chaos. A VPSO, village public safety officer, kept a watch over the deceased. It's just a matter of just waiting for law enforcement to arrive. With the house secure, Jordan's mom, Lori Baker, and her son's friend, Carlene Charlie, depart from the horrific scene. We go to my home. By then, word has gotten out. And when something like this happens, a death in our community, regardless of how the person passed away, we gather at the family's home. Investigators Henry Ching and Kirsten Hansen roll in from Fairbanks along with a crime scene tech. As you enter, it was a living room area. There was a light-colored couch, blood on the floor, blood on the couch, bloody footprints were everywhere. Jordan Baker was on the couch with a sheet over him, and he only had a T-shirt and no bottoms. I removed the sheet from Jordan and immediately noticed his deep stab wounds in his chest, upper torso area. The investigator surveyed the scene and He's starting to build his case in his head. He stabbed somebody in the chest five times. That's personal. I noticed he had defensive wounds on his forearms and on his hands, and that's from obviously trying to fight off the person with a knife. They can see that he had been stabbed by a sharp object. So now their first thing is, where's the knife? It's not there around the victim or anything like that. I knew it had to be somewhere. So I was like, man, this person isn't going to stab Jordan and then walk around the village with a knife. And so I stood outside the cabin. I was like, man, if I was him, what would I do? Looked over to the side and seen the bluff. And I was like, I would chuck it. Investigator Ching soon receives a tip from an unexpected source. I saw a raven kind of flying around. I'm like, huh, I wonder what he's doing. And a raven had landed in the snow. 
and then took off. Got about 30 yards from the house, and I saw a little hole in the ground with a raven footprint, and there was some blood on it. And that's where I found the murder weapon. I was like, that's odd. Why would the raven, you know, land right there? Their next step after finding the knife, who does the knife belong to? We've got to find a suspect. The victim's injuries lead investigator Ching to an early conclusion. That many stab wounds and the defensive wounds, typically when you see that, it shows a lot of anger. Something triggered that to make them violently attack like that. It wasn't a crime where someone just walked into town and did this. We're talking Minto, Alaska, 200 people. You're not just going to come walking in a place like that, commit a crime, and then just leave. Everybody knows everybody. So when you come into a village as an outsider, everybody looks. Witnesses at the crime scene tell investigators that Jordan's friend Carlene was the first to report the stabbing. They had heard that Carlene may have been over at Lori's when they got there to go look for her. She wasn't there. When investigator Hansen asks Lori where Carlene is, Lori says she sent Carlene away to collect herself. She's just wailing. And I think at one point I told her to calm down. And I think I told her cousin or aunt, whoever, to take her home. Lori tells investigators she talked to Jordan before he went to his cousin's house. And he says, Mom, I'm not too sure what I'm going to do tonight. We might watch a movie. I said, who's we? He said, I don't know a few of us, Carly. And I said, well, son, be careful. You know, I love you. And that's the last time I seen him. She was very forthcoming. She had told the investigators that she was awakened by a phone call. It was from Carlene stating that Jordan had been stabbed. Next step is to question Carlene. Investigator Hansen finds 24-year-old Carlene at her cousin Francine's house nearby. The investigators found Carlene with her head on the table in obvious distress. For investigative purposes, Carlene was photographed from head to toe. Mind you, she had blood all over her. As investigator Hansen collects basic information, Carlene explains that she's known Jordan for as long as she can remember. They had an off and on sexual relationship, but they were, I don't believe that they were ever boyfriend and girlfriend. It was very low key and just strictly sexual. Carlene says the night of the murder, she was hanging out with Jordan at his cousin's house when one of their friends, Tyler, arrived. Carlene and Jordan were eating dinner, and Tyler shows up with some alcohol. And we learned that they had got some liquor from one of the bootleggers in town, and they'd been partying. Carlene says she quickly began feeling the effects of the liquor. And while trying to cut her steak, the knife slipped. They started drinking. That's when she says she sustained a cut on her finger. Carlene stated to investigators that she needed a bandage for her cut on her finger. She went to her grandmother's house seeking a bandage. 
About an hour later, Carlene decided to rejoin her friends. Carlene told investigators, coming back from her grandmother's house, she heard fighting. She kind of waited outside. She saw a hooded figure leave the house. And he had pulled his hoodie over his head and, and reached down to the ground and grabbed something and then just walked out and walked right down the street. She went into the residence and that's where she found Jordan bleeding. Investigators asked Carlene who she thought it was that left the house after the fight. She told investigators she thought it was Tyler. Investigator Hansen asks Carlene for the clothes she was wearing when she found Jordan. Carlene turned over all of her bloody clothing to investigators. There's also a bloody sweatshirt she stated to investigators that was left in the snow outside the crime scene. It's Carlene's sweatshirt. Investigators were also able to get that as well. With Carlene's clothes logged into evidence, investigators focus on their next move. Obviously, we really wanted to talk to Tyler. When investigators track Tyler down, he agrees to meet with them at the community lodge for an interview. Tyler had his parents present. Tyler says he didn't bring the alcohol to this get-together. He wasn't drinking. Carlene and Jordan were drinking, and they got drunk. Says he went home, and that was in total conflict with what Carlene had to say to investigators. Investigators are eager to find out why Tyler's story doesn't match Carlene's. But before they can get to the bottom of it, the conversation grinds to a halt. Tyler's parents cut the interview short. We're getting a lawyer. Once they say a lawyer, you know, we can't talk to him. Why would you lawyer up? It made me think he had something to do with it. Unable to thoroughly question Tyler, investigators go for the next best thing. We get the search warrant for the residence of Tyler, where he was um, supposedly living at. As investigators approach the front door, they immediately spot a red flag. I see that there's blood on the door jamb. Automatically, their antennas go up. We've got something here. Coming up, detectives work to nail down a suspect and put a community at ease. What's hell? Not knowing who did this. A murder like this can break a community in two. But everything changes when another life is put on the line. Family members were able to restrain her and get the knife away from her. We get the call. Troopers, you need to respond to this residence. When we're there, everybody's crying. Hey, Snap listeners, did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security I use and recommend. When the weather is nicer and daylight is lasting longer, I find myself going out for walks and out of the house more. That's why I like Simply Safe to protect my home 24-7. 
Simply Safe offers advanced technology to protect every room, window, or door of your home while cameras keep watch for suspicious activity 24/7. Plus, you install the system your way. It's easy to do it yourself or get the professionals to do it for you. You can test it out, absolutely no risk to you with Simply Safe's 60-day risk-free trial. I like Simply Safe because it's customizable for everyone's personal needs. I love to use the video doorbell for my packages and feel more safe when I'm home alone. I even installed a smart lock at my parents' house. It gives our family both ease of access and peace of mind. Protect your home today. Our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. May 2nd, 2013. State troopers have descended upon the remote village of Mento, Alaska to investigate the murder of 26-year-old Jordan Baker. A tip from Jordan's friend, Carlene Charlie, has led investigators to their first suspect. Carlene tells investigators that she heard the fight, she sees the hooded figure, who she describes as Tyler, leaving the home. And she goes in and finds Jordan deceased on the couch. Investigators obviously think that's their suspect, Tyler. After an unsuccessful attempt to question Tyler, investigators have just uncovered a promising lead. Tyler is lawyered up. They go to Tyler's house. They find blood at the house. Super excited because it's starting to corroborate some of the statements from Carleen because there's blood. And then as you enter the Arctic entryway, similar to, I guess, a mudroom, there's blood all over the floor. Obviously, we're getting more excited, you know, like, oh, man, you know, what, what do we got here? As quickly as their excitement builds, it begins to fizzle with another discovery. I started seeing moose hair, and I was like, maybe this is not human blood. A lot of times in the village, they'll shoot something, a moose or a seal, and they're cleaning them or skinning them in the living room of the residence. The crime scene technicians conduct a field test right there on scene. Results come back, it's not human blood. Investigators move through the rest of the home in search of evidence. I'm looking for articles of clothing, things like that, to see if there's any blood on it. We went in the bathroom, there was a hamper full of clothes. So we dump out the hamper, didn't find anything. Just as investigators are wrapping up a fruitless search, they receive an urgent message. We get the call, you know, on the radio, hey, Troopers, you need to respond to this residence. Carleen Charlie tried to commit suicide. Investigators rush to the home of Carleen's cousin, where they find a chaotic scene. 
We're there. Everybody's crying. Charlene is hysterical, saying, oh, I want to be with Jordan. You know, I want to be with Jordan. She loves him, and she needs to be with him. Carlene had grabbed a kitchen knife, and she began stabbing herself in the torso. Family members were able to restrain Carlene, get the knife away from her so she couldn't further harm herself or hurt others. Her wounds were superficial, basically. She'd stabbed herself, but nothing life-threatening. After the health aid looked over her and examined her, it was decided that she'd be taken to Fairbanks Memorial Hospital. Mind you, it's not something where an ambulance just comes right down the street or anything like that. She had to be airlifted. Carlene's attempt to take her own life leaves investigators with questions. Why is she doing this? Is she distraught over his death? Or did she have something to do with this? Investigators will have to wait for answers. After an intensive 16-hour investigative effort in Mento, the troopers head back to Fairbanks. Out here in Alaska, you got one shot to get evidence and collect evidence and that sort of thing, because once you leave the scene, it's gone. Investigator Hansen and I didn't leave until 3 o'clock the next morning, so we were exhausted trying to keep each other awake while we drove back to Fairbanks. On the evening of May 3rd, investigators confront Carlene at the Fairbanks Hospital, where she is recovering from her suicide attempt. Carlene continued to deny that she had anything to do with Jordan's death. Said that she loved Jordan and would never do anything to hurt him. Carlene states that we were in love and we were always meant to be together. My aha moment would have been when she tried to commit suicide. At this point, Carlene was a suspect, you know, but we just didn't have the smoking gun, so to speak. Over the next few weeks, investigators make several trips back to Mento in search of anything that might propel the case forward. You're doing follow-ups, you know, you might have to do some re-interviews with people and stuff like that. Things start to start to slow down. The case is not going cold, but we're not getting any results. As progress in the investigation slows, the unsolved murder takes a toll on the tight-knit village. Miss Hill, not knowing who did this or what happened, I seen a change in my village. Doors were shut, curtains were drawn early in the day. This is summertime. There was a sense of scaredness, a weird feeling, eerie feeling that I've never experienced in all my life living here. Jordan's friends and family say their final farewells through an Athabascan tradition. Whenever the family is ready to, you know, say their final goodbye and let go, that is when they'll put a memorial. A memorial potlatch is the final thing you'll ever do for a loved one that had passed on. There's a song that is made that is only sang during this time. So it's a very powerful, emotional time. 
While the family mourns, investigators continue to focus on Carlene and Tyler. You've got two potential suspects. Both of them have conflicting stories. One of them's lying, or maybe both of them are lying. Everybody knew who was being investigated. It was no secret. Tyler's still lawyered up, so all we have here is Carlene's side of things. When detectives receive the results of blood analysis from the lab, a key piece of evidence stands out. One of the primary pieces of evidence they had is that bloody sweatshirt found outside the crime scene. It's Carlene's sweatshirt. There was the arterial blood and stuff on the clothing. Arterial blood is like real frothy, like sprayed on you. It's not just like you spill blood on your leg or something like that. The evidence calls Carlene's account into question. Her story wasn't adding up. She had stated that she found Jordan bleeding. That's how she got all the blood on her sweater. A lot of the blood that they saw on the sweatshirt was arterial blood, meaning it got on the shirt as Jordan was being stabbed. Not from Carlene trying to save Jordan's life. Investigators now have evidence that supports their doubts about Carlene's story. I believe that Investigator Hansen was leaning a lot towards Carlene Charlie at this point. Coming up, an unexpected lead arises from a family betrayal. She felt compelled to do the right thing. She came to them. I did it. I can't live like this. I did it. By the late spring of 2013, Alaska state troopers working the murder of 26-year-old Jordan Baker in the remote village of Mento have strong suspicions about his friend, Carlene Charlie. Carlene is telling us one thing, the evidence is saying something totally different. Almost three weeks after the crime, Carlene tries to put down roots outside of Mento. Carlene has been discharged from the hospital. She can't go back to Mento. You just can't go back into a small community like that with the pure and simple fact that all eyes are on you. So Carlene decided that she needed to move on in Anchorage. Investigators work for the next few weeks to build a case against Carlene. On July 16th, they get the break they've been waiting for. Investigator Hans put her case together. She's looking at photos from the crime scene. And during those processes, she gets the call from Besserine, Carlene's cousin, who lives in Anchorage. Besserine has information related to the murder case, information that they may be very interested in. Besserine Gonzalez tells investigators that following Jordan's murder, Carlene moved to Anchorage to live with her but it hasn't been easy. It's almost a 24-hour job for her, caring for her cousin, who continues to state that she wants to kill herself. Besserine tells investigators she'd spent many days trying to console her cousin. Then, on July 16th, their conversation took a turn when Carlene finally came clean about what was really weighing on her conscience. 
One day, they're holding a conversation and Carlene comes clean to Bessarine as to why she's been feeling the way she's feeling. Carlene wasn't feeling pain over what had happened to Jordan. It was guilt. Carlene made some confessions to her about her involvement in the death of Jordan Baker. Bessarine had told us that Carlene said that she had stabbed Jordan five times. There's nothing tighter than somebody saying to their family, I did it. There's no coercion there. She came to them, I did it. I can't live like this, I did it. Bessarine says she felt she had no choice but to contact authorities. I think Bessarine was just, she's just a good person. What her cousin did was wrong. And so she felt compelled to do the right thing. Investigators quickly appealed to Bessarine's desire to help. I immediately asked her if she's willing to talk to Carlene on a wire. Basically, I recorded a conversation, and she said that she was. Mr. Hanson and I got a search warrant for that and uh, got approved, and we flew to Anchorage. Within hours, investigators are fitting Bessarine with a wire and coaching her on what to say to Carlene. So the plan is when she comes in, we set her up with audio devices. She says that she's gonna talk with Carlene and, and they're gonna go for a walk. And in this walk is where she's gonna try to get her to confess to her again. She was very nervous, as anybody would be. She had a lot of concerns, but you know, her wanting to do right overcame any of her fears and she cooperated 100%. Investigators watch and listen from afar as Carlene and Bessarine set off on a walk. Bessarine told us where she's gonna walk, you know, down the street and she's gonna turn around and come back. Just as the investigators had coached her, Bessarine encourages Carlene to talk about Jordan's death. Just come clean, get it off your chest. You know, if it's something you gotta say, just say it. Just tell me, tell me what happened. Slowly but surely, Carlene takes the bait. Bessarine and Carlene are walking. With investigators listening in, Carlene starts talking about the whole thing, just like she had initially told investigators that he made dinner for us and we got drunk and it was the whole same thing going on. But Carlene's story has a new twist. She admits to having an argument with Jordan. What she initially didn't tell investigators is the real reason she left the house is because Jordan had told her to leave. Said him and Tyler were gonna be hanging out. They had been partying and Jordan had basically cussed at her and told her to get out of here. She was pissed off. She was upset, she left. Carlene tells her cousin she was drunk and simply lost her temper. After Jordan kicked her out, she was so mad that she went to her family members also grabbed the knife. And then she came back. She was waiting out there, waiting for Tyler to leave. And after he left, that's when she went in. Carlene tells Bessarine that she went in the house. Her and Jordan get into a fight. She stabs Jordan to death. Carlene tells Bessarine that just before he lost consciousness, Jordan uttered his final words. She said that Jordan said, why do you love me so much? 
Carlene's confession is just what investigators need to make an arrest. We had visual on them the whole time. Our confession met all the elements that we needed for the arrest. Gave the green light and they all swarmed in and placed her under arrest. She was taken into custody. I recall her saying, you know, what's going on, what's going on, we look confused. Though Carlene just confessed everything to her cousin, once in custody, she invokes her right to remain silent. They've made the arrest. She's asked for a lawyer. She refuses to talk. But they've already got the wire conversation between her and Besserine. It doesn't take long for news of Carlene's arrest to make its way from Anchorage to Mento. A lot of emotions came, people gathered at my home once they found out. Tears were flowing. I was shocked that she could go sit in Lori's house the day of the murder and act like she had nothing to do with it for months after, like she had nothing to do with it. Coming up, the search for a motive unravels new and disturbing details about the killer's wrath. It was just such a rage killing that it was fueled by jealousy and anger. She looked right at me. She said it was you. She said he wanted you. I'll never forget that. It makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Less than three months after the brutal stabbing of 26-year-old Jordan Baker, his friend and occasional lover, Carlene Charlie, was arrested for his murder. Investigators are eager to identify her motive for killing the man she claimed to be in love with. Jordan and Carlene were friends. Carlene and her sick mind always thought her and Jordan was going to be together. They were going to be married. And she was told several times by Jordan, myself, that it had never going to happen. And you ought to just move on. In her mind, she had created this relationship. She had created this idea that they were going to get married. Nobody really knew the monster that was underneath. The possibility that Carlene's relationship with Jordan was largely a product of her imagination brings a motive into perspective. It was just pure rage. When she was rejected, she was asked to leave. I don't believe that that love was reciprocated, which added fuel to that fire. She just went crazy. Love fueled hate and anger and a tragedy. It just infuriated her enough to go grab a knife, come back, and brutally, physically kill him. It was just such a rage killing that it was fueled by jealousy, rage, and anger. Prosecutors prepare to take Carlene to trial. But in March 2014, they learn that Carlene has had a change of heart. Carlene Charlie was charged with first-degree murder initially. She faced anywhere from 20 to 99 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Her lawyers came in with a plea deal. So there was no trial. It was just a reduced count. 
murder in the second degree. The family was not happy with that plea deal. I remember specifically Jordan's mother, she was so upset. In May 2015, Carlene enters a Fairbanks courtroom to receive her sentence. The judge offers Jordan's loved ones the opportunity to speak. I looked at her and I exactly told her I didn't hate her, but I actually felt sorry for her and that I could look at her and tell her that I forgive her. When given the floor, Carlene addresses Jordan's family. She said the last thing Jordan was yelling for, and she looked right at me. She said it was you. She said he wanted you, yelling for you. I'll never forget that. That literally still sitting here makes me it just send, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. The judge sentences Carlene to 20 years in prison. The judge issued her a sentence to the reduced murder two. The reaction was heartbreaking in the courthouse. His mother was just devastated. One of the quotes that she said was, you get more time in jail for killing an animal in Alaska than you do a human being. The events of May 2nd, 2013 will not be soon forgotten in Mento, where one woman's dreams of marriage and romance turned into jealousy and rage. You have a 24-year-old young lady that had her whole life in front of her, and here's a young man who had his whole life ahead of him, and she killed him because he didn't want to take things to another level. I only got one word for that, senseless. Despite the tragic end to her son's life, Jordan's mother chooses to forgive and break the cycle of wrath for good. Not only did she ruin our lives, she ruined herself for being so young. So yes, there's anger here, but there's also care about what happens to her. But I forgave her. She needs to forgive herself and ask God to forgive her. There's no hate. Hate doesn't solve anything. And the hell if I'm gonna get sick holding that hatred in. Carlene Charlie is currently serving her sentence at the Highland Mountain Correctional Center. Tyler was never charged with any crime against Jordan. For more information on Snapped, go to Oxygen.com. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. Run! There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promised to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you here in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. 
Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.